Welcome to a special podcast replay of the first annual Hedgeye Investing Summit, originally aired live on Hedgeye TV October 9th through the 11th, 2018. We gathered some of the smartest investors on Wall Street to discuss the current market setup around the globe. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye Investing products. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. I'm Daryl Jones, Director of Research at Hedgeye, and we have uh, one of, I think, the, my favorite segments of the Investing Summit, a uh, discussion about everybody's favorite stock, Tesla, and we're pleased to have Charlie Grant from the Wall Street Journal and our own uh, industrial sector head, Jay Van Skyver, who's been a longtime bear on Tesla, and with that, I'll kick it off to, to Jay. Great. Thank you, Daryl. And uh, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. I am very excited to have you here. I bristled a little bit at Longtime Bear. We launched in June of 2017 on Tesla. Short time, short time Bear. Which, you know, depending on your horizon, pod versus long-term investor. But I just want to get the uh, elephant in the room out of the way, you know, right at the beginning here. Are you, in, in addition to being jealous of Elon Musk, uh, are you also a saboteur or just in the pocket of big oil? I am whatever the internet says about me. <laughs> you, whatever you find on the forums it's all true. Just, you know, whatever you read, take it down. It's gospel. Um, but I am most certainly jealous of Elon Musk. He commutes to work in a private jet, and I commute on the F train in mid t- to and from Midtown Manhattan. So I've got to give him get credit where it's due. Yeah, The subway that earned its letter. That's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, more seriously, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you came to the Wall Street Journal and maybe more specifically how you came to cover Tesla? Sure, sure. Um, I was assigned Tesla among a uh, number of other companies, you know, in, when I joined the Journal in 2015. And it was definitely still an interesting story back then, but it was much simpler. You know, Tesla was making luxury cars and not making much money, but the you know company was chugging along, still clearly in growth mode. Its best days were ahead of it, and it was it started as you know a bit of a dull roar, but um, it has. Be- I've been amazed just at how consistently the stock can surprise even the closest observers, and there's truly never a dull moment with these guys. Um, so I cover maybe a hundred companies in total for the journal. Um, most of them are interesting, either never or in a few <laughs> brief moments. And Tesla is nonstop excitement for better or worse. So, you know, it's been, uh, it's something we'll, we will remember for a long time, no matter how the story turns out. Absolutely. When you picked up Tesla, how did the company respond? And has that evolved over time? Are there things that are more responsive on, less responsive on? Yeah, I mean, well, so Tesla's never been much to comment on their financial condition, um, which is, at Hurt on the Street, is, you know, what we focus on. We, you know, the point of the Hurt on the Street column is what investors should be thinking about. So we have many writers who touch Tesla in some form at the journal. But, you know, we are focused on the numbers, you know, the stock, you know, what's going to happen with the bonds, all, all the things that, you know, buy side and the buy side should care about. And so Tesla, you know, and it makes perfect sense from their point of view. They want to comment on the revolutionary products, their, the clean energy, you know, 
revolution, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, that's what they're focused on. And the balance sheet, less, <laughs> less, less, uh, less of an emphasis for the PR department. And that's been the case pretty consistently since I started covering so, them. So when you ask them questions about their financials or the balance sheet, like what type of response do you get? They'll refer me to things that, that you know, public, com- public communications. Documents. I mean, yeah. you know, very rarely will you get, you know, any additional yeah. color. Um, so you have to do your own work and your own analysis, which um, hopefully makes it a sharper, better, you know, product. But, you know, it's, it's and you... Talking to management can be a good thing or a bad thing for uh, getting too close to them, and you know, basically, we are, we are very much at arm's length. So, and, and they're they're courteous and professional, to be clear, you know, but their their PR office is very small relative to the overwhelming interest they get. Yeah, and they do, you know, they're they're not engaged on the stuff that I'm focused on. And, and does Musk ever get involved? Because I mean, there was that example of him. Thinking he was off the record earlier this year, I think it was with a reporter from maybe BuzzFeed, where they had exchanged emails back and forth, and it wasn't clear he was off the record. Do you ever? Does he ever get involved in this? Like when you guys are asking questions, or uh, not with me personally, but yeah. he has with um, with my colleagues. With a journal, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, so the um, what you have to remember about um, you know. Elon is also a lot of a lot of the communications happen in public, right? Not just you know, right? So he one time he did tweet a story of mine, um, and he said, "Stop biting my finger, damn it!" And <laughs> which I guess is a reference to the Charlie bit my finger YouTube clip, which was oh, okay. a very exciting morning, a very exciting morning in my household because yeah. my phone shook a little bit and shook for an hour or so yeah, and yeah. didn't stop throughout the whole day. He can be funny. Um, he, I mean, it was funny. I laughed. And yeah, yeah. I mean, he he, really he, he is term. a funny guy, and yeah. there's, you know, he's he's a charmer, and he is a a great storyteller, yeah. and that's how, one of the reasons Tesla got to this point. Yeah. And you know, the question, uh, you know, that I've been trying to answer for the past few years, and I know Jay has too, is do the cold hard realities of the business, <laughs> you know, match the hype? And that's where I start to have issues with the story. Yeah. You, you have a background in, in financial analysis, uh, you know, some at least training formally there. Do you think that changes the way you cover it relative to normal reporters? Um, yes and no. I mean, there's certain, you know, things that, I mean, I probably pay more attention to how the bonds trade on a daily basis than yeah. most uh, of the media. Um, I, but, you know, I think, you know, I am a journalist first, and we are looking for good and interesting stories to tell. Yeah. And... If there was nothing interesting to say about the financials, we'd probably move on to something else. But as Jay has found in his research, there's plenty of interesting things to write about. One thing I wanted to ask you about is you get more of the public interest side of the world, like people who come to you with things that they think need to be in the public domain. With the executive departures, have you found any... um, Anything interesting or anybody coming to you? Because there's a lot of turnover. There is. There all is. Through the ranks and, of you know, I mean, I don't comment on specific sourcing. But, That's okay. It's um, just us. Right, right. It's just, it's just you, me, and 10,000 friends, right, or however many. Um, so, um, but, you know, obviously speaking to former executives and employees is a good way to find out what goes on inside a company. Yeah. That's challenging because Tesla, like most of Silicon Valley, tries to keep uh, employees under NDAs and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, for the most part, I'd say people respect that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
it's a big world and a lot of people have cell phones yeah. and a lot of people have, uh, you know, they have ways of reaching us. And there are people that at the end of the day just want to get things out there if they think something inappropriate is going on. or Sure, sure. And, you know, anytime you're dealing with a former employee, you know, you, you have to filter it appropriately. Yeah, is yeah. this person, you know... Uh, jealous of Elon Musk? Jealous of Elon <laughs> Musk. Or, you know, I mean, if they are angry about how their employment went, you know, that's a standard, uh, you know, thing to evaluate when, you know, looking through his sources. Yeah, yeah. And, and trying to weigh how credibly you should take whatever claims have been made to you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the, inter- you know, and I haven't gotten to any, like, specific exciting bombshells from talking to former employees, but you get a general sense of the way the company is run and it just my impression as an outsider is it's all you know fly by night you know very very disorganized very chaotic and what's problematic from an investing point of view is Tesla is a long term story right they don't make money now they're supposed to make a lot in the future and the the Focus is always short term, right? So it's 5,000 cars a week, 5,000 Model 3s by June 30th, right? In the last week of the quarter, we've got to make this number. And then, so people get pulled off, you know, their office jobs and work the factory line. Then we see a similar thing this past quarter at the delivery centers. And it's, we're living week to week, and this is supposed to be a 10-year, you know, growth story. And that's one of, that fundamental disconnect is something that I really, really struggle with. So, actually, Jay, a question for you. I thought we were asking questions of Charlie. Oh, no. I just want to follow up on Charlie's questions. The profitability you know, idea or target, is it simply a volume? Like, if, if Tesla hits a certain volume, they'll be profitable? Or are they actually losing money on every car they make? And, you know, will, will um, lack of profitability accelerate? Like, can he get to profitability through volume effectively? So the, the bull case is typically that there's a deep enough pool of demand that they'll be able to grow sales rapidly enough, and at the same time, you'll have a decline in uh, input costs for things like batteries, and then at some point, you'll get this like magic you know, divergence where they take off from each other, and Tesla will be a, a trillion-dollar company. Um, there are some basic realities of things like you know variable costs and fixed costs in manufacturing. Um, We'll know a lot more in a couple of weeks, but we make, I think, some pretty um, optimistic assumptions for things like incremental gross margin, like how much more gross, how much gross margin do you get on that next car, uh, and some pretty optimistic assumptions on SG&A leverage, where we can look at SG&A ends up being a really important breakpoint in the model. Um, and you know, I find it very hard for them to get to profitability in the back half of this year. Uh, we saw that drop from the you know the third quarter delivery press release. We didn't hear anything about profitability. There are obviously some ways you could sell emissions credits and get a little further, and maybe they'll one time their way. Legal expenses are going up, I yeah. hear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that falls into SGNA, but only if you set aside a reserve for them, right? That's well, <laughs> that's true. If you don't pay your lawyers, <laughs> I hear they don't like it. Uh, and if you want the best representation, paying attention to you, you got to pay them. Uh, I find it very hard in the current cost structure with current input costs, modeling incrementals to get anything like profitability. Uh, I would say that's mostly, I think Phil and I agree that Tesla is down. It's a high short interest name. There's probably a little bit of risk to the upside at this point. Uh, And it it usually, you know, 
feels like getting your face ripped off. Uh, but the uh, you know from a bull perspective, a risk is that it's very there is a wide perception uh, that they're going to be profitable in either third or fourth quarter, uh, and the uh, it's just very hard to model. And that assumption of long-run demand growth, which is where we have spent our time doing the most, I think, interesting uh, work data-wise, looking at uh, residual values, looking at things like uh, real-time measures of uh, demand, like utilization of test drives, uh, or looking at um, survey data. That, we did a deck, I guess, a couple weeks ago. I think, I think we sent it along to Phil. Uh, we do actually. Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, sorry, Charlie. Jay, Jay knows with, my brother. So I worked with your brother yes. on a trading desk for yes. four it's, years. Oh, so. is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I always. I, sorry. So, I, I, yes. For, I for apologize, the, Charlie. That's. I mean, you should. I you should. should. You really terrible should. Terrible for Paul. At least yeah. I didn't call you Elon. That's right. Well, no, it's it's worse to call me Phil. <laughs> is it really? Oh my God! It probably yeah. is. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know the uh, the reality is that we just um, see this collapse in demand. So I think there's a real risk that this. Demand, uh, uh, you know, growth that bulls are betting on. They care about the revenue line. Yeah. They don't care about the profit line. Uh, that that may not materialize. That there are enough bumpers that fall off of Model Threes or cracked glass roofs. It doesn't take that much. Many people who complain that they uh, can't get their car fixed until people in the general public realize that, hey, maybe that's not the right commute car for me. Uh, and that's what we're starting to see. We've seen stunning drop since Elon was uh, charged with uh, sued by the SEC for fraud yeah. in the brand measures. Mm, interesting. interesting. And you know, I mean, the focus of much of the news media, myself included, has been a lot of what's going on with the SEC. And there's been, you know, distraction after distraction this summer. I mean, the Thai cave incident, yeah. <laughs> just to pick one. And yeah. we don't need to get into that. But you know, and it's it, it's a challenge covering the company, and then also you know weighing an investment decision, both for bulls and bears. Is everyone is distracted by who's the chairman going to yeah. be? Is the settlement going to go through? And I think today there's a court hearing on that. And I mean, we don't know the answers, but what's much more important is can they move you know the metal at profitable rate at a way, at a sustainable rate as well and. It's, you know, the fundamentals of this company are pretty hard to parse because in the fourth quarter we have S and X guidance, you know, the older models, the luxury, the higher end luxury cars. There's no Model 3 delivery guidance that I'm aware of. Yeah. And it's, you know, pieces are missing of what people should even be expecting here. And, you know, it makes you wonder just how deep this demand pool really is. Like, I mean, they delivered a lot of cars in the third quarter. Revenue growth is going to be way up. But how long does that last for? And, um, you know, how many, how, many, how many levers can you pull here to get yourself to profitability? And if you do achieve that, how many times can you pull those levers in the future? And the, there's more questions than answers on that front, I think. What are the next catalysts people should be watching, both, I guess, fundamental and then non-fundamental, like the court hearing today? Like, what are the things out there in the next three, four, or five weeks? Well, um, I mean, earnings are probably going to be... The big, the three, first, four, or five weeks, my God. My God, that's like an eternity with this stock. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, usually third quarter earnings happen the first week of November. They haven't formally announced a date, but, yep. you know, maybe around Halloween. Um, profitability... 
is I don't think is I don't think it really matters if they hit the profitability number or not. I mean, it's never mattered before. Right, right. So, and it's you know if they miss that, I don't think it's a big deal. I'm much more interested to hear about the backlog, model three and demand, model three demand, and you know how much longer is the growth story can be credibly counted on, yeah. and are they going to tease you know the model Y or the semi truck or you know. Yeah. Other other projects that they've uh, that they've highlighted in the past, but you know, at the same time, um, with those, you know, capital spending is down, and that's one way to improve your cash flow situation, and that's good. But you know, this is supposed to be again. I come back to this point. It's been supposed to be a multi-year growth story, and the stuff that they're talking about in the long term, well, it costs money. Yeah. <laughs> and so where is that going to come from? Yeah. And raise, you know, they, they will need to do a capital raise at some point, um, even if they become sustainably profitable, which I don't see how in the short term, fund, you're never going to fund these projects without sustained, you know, several billion, billion dollars coming in the door. Yeah. And where, you know, where 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 is that money going to come from? And that's the whole point of buying the stock at nosebleed valuation. So, the uh, the other answer I, I think slightly longer term, but in my world not long term, which is that January first tax credits for the Tesla mm-hmm. EVs are are going to get cut in half. Uh, so they're going to go from seventy five hundred to thirty seven fifty. Oh, and and to Charlie's earlier point. Uh, about demand for Model 3. There's probably a lot of demand for Model 3 if you could make a $30,000 car. At right. north of 50000 you're talking about only 15% of cars are sold that, uh, in that price range. A lot of those are SUVs. Uh, and for each $5,000 increment of car price, the number of sales, the market, drops by about a third. Oh, okay. So above $30,000, each time you take a step up, Right. I mean, they're very obviously as you go from zero to thirty, like it, it goes up because nobody sells a five thousand dollar car. But if you look at that like higher end, that, that decay that we get of car sales, something like the reduction of a four thousand uh, you know four thousand dollar credit actually has a very significant effect. Or an inability to produce the thirty five thousand dollar version of the car is enormous in the different size of the market. Another big catalyst, I think people are vastly underestimating is that HOV lane access for California is going to be restricted to cars that are basically after Jan 117. So the residual values for things like 2016 Model S's have plummeted by $10,000 over the last five, six months. That doesn't sound like a big deal, I mean, unless it's coming off lease in 2019 like 2016s are, or you have a 2016 you want to trade in, or you're thinking about the total cost of ownership of your car. That's $10,000 of incremental cost of the car that somebody's going to bear. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of very relevant catalysts that are less than three months away that I, I think you'll see a little pre-buy in December. We always see pre-buys ahead of the expiration of subsidies or implementation of things like regulations or whatever, increased costs uh, ahead of tariffs. There are, there are things like that. We always see a pre-buy. Uh, so maybe fourth quarter gets a little lift from that. But as we go into the first half of 20. 2019, uh, you're going to be able to buy an I-PACE with a full $7,500 tax credit, and you're going to be looking at a Model X with $3,750 tax credit. That's a real 
we call it the first loser disadvantage. Yeah. First person who loses the tax credit is, is going to operate at a disadvantage. So right. there are just big structural catalysts that will make the current difficult situation actually get worse, which is a, a problem. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, the iPace does not need to outsell the Model X, right, for it to cause a problem for Tesla um, on the financial side, right? I mean, I'm not expecting this car to beat Model X head to head necessarily, but the point is that there are better capitalized competitors showing up, and it's the yeah. marginal sale, right? Yeah. I mean, it's how are you going to show growth when you've had you haven't made profits when you've had this market to yourself. And now, you know, the Audis of the world, they're not coming right away, but, like, they are coming. Yeah. And sooner or later, you're going, I mean, you, the market is not getting easier. And the tax credit is another big issue. I mean, as Jay pointed out, Tesla is very good in Washington, D.C., and bears, bears should keep that in mind. There is always a chance that something happened. Yeah. D.C., Subsidies have a way of seeming like they're going to go away in Washington and then not actually. Yeah, that's really them. interesting. So, like, have mean, you looked at that with midterms coming up? I mean, no, I mean, I haven't I, looked you at know, that. I, I, I don't. I do. I've, I'm not a 538 alum, so I'll pass on forecasting how <laughs> how the election's going to go. Yeah. But I and I think my base case, so to speak, is that the subsidies will go away as scheduled or start to fade out and be a problem, but. You never know, and I, I don't put that as a 100% probability. I mean, yeah. surprises do happen, but but if, if things go as scheduled, then that is a problem for Tesla, for sure. Yeah. Let me ask a question. So I was in, uh, I landed uh, in JFK last night from, from London after two days of meetings and, and a conference, so all of my mistakes are jet lag. Uh, <laughs> but the question that, I, so I said, oh, I'm having you know, this interview with you, and uh, what should I ask? You know, and the two separate people said uh, that I should ask about capital raises. Why haven't they raised capital? Uh, and why um, did they, you know, raise debt when they did do a capital raise? Uh, and as a preface or as a you know, follow up to the question, like nobody really knows the answer that I, I've met. I certainly uh, do not. Yeah. Uh, but I'd love your just random opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it's a mystery, and I don't know what's going on. There's been speculation on multiple fronts, you know, maybe the SEC investigation, because there's the funding secured issue, but there's a separate SEC investigation into Model 3 guidance, my colleagues have reported. Oh. And so maybe, maybe there's an issue with that. Nobody knows. But it is very curious that a company with these massive capital needs in the future and a $300 share price, like, just raise, you know, there, there should be demand for an equity raise. They've, they've never had trouble accessing fresh capital, and they need it. So what, what is going on? So, so how's that for a non-answer to your question? No, I mean, I, I've had different <laughs> theories. Like, the, if you talk to, uh, you know, securities lawyers, uh, which I'm sure you have, uh, you, you know, you generally hear back that it would have to be financial statement accounting fraud for it to really for there to be like a side letter or some sort of conversation where they would not approve registration or endlessly comment on it. Uh, I find it hard to believe that, and maybe Model 3 guidance is enough. Maybe that's close enough to that. Uh, but if a company is reporting that they lose 20-something thousand dollars a car, like if they're frauding, they're bad at it, right? They could take a lesson. I can give them pointers on how to fraud. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not 
really pulling it off. And if they had reported thirty five thousand of loss per delivery, would anybody have cared? You know, right? Exactly. And I know I'm about profits to get, like, haven't mattered in the story, so I've always found that an unsatisfactory explanation. I can feel like the tweets coming in, like that's not the right calculation. It's fine. It's fine as a calculation. Uh, but uh, and then, do you have any thought of like why they did debt versus equity? No, but I, I wrote a story the day of saying like. That's weird. <laughs> their best, their best asset is on the sideline, the share price. I mean, that's currency. And and at that point in time, there were, you know, you and I were much lonelier in the Tesla bear world than now. I mean, that's a lot. Of, you know, a lot has changed in a year. But and it's easy to forget now. But Elon Musk was flying high in 2017. No, very few voices were concerned that Model Three was about to get built. I mean, the appetite was there, and they don't make money, so. Fixed paid debt, you know, they'd issued converts before, but converts are a much smaller problem for a non-profitable company because yeah. you can settle in equity, of course. And it was, I, I to this day, um, I'm baffled. I asked Tesla, they referred me to the conference call, which <laughs> there was no elaboration and none of the analysts on the call asked, which struck me as normal. Normal, <laughs> but, you know, well, what, that's a whole separate conversation. Um, but, you know, it's, why haven't you done this? And then, you know, on the first quarter call this year, fast forward to May, um, that was the one where um, the analysts got hung up on and boring boneheaded questions and let's go to YouTube became household phrases. And, but on that call, as part of, you know, what got lost in the noise there was Elon Musk said specifically he doesn't want to raise. He said I, there's no need and we don't want to. And I have a hard time square. I just, it only makes you want, you know, that, that does not calm down the speculation that something is amiss that is preventing some kind of raise. And I don't know, you know, I don't, to be clear, I don't know what that issue would be, but it is beyond baffling they have not done so given their needs. And because Moody's said, you know, they've downgraded the lead bond issue to a C rating in May, in March, excuse me. And they said that you need to do a raise in the near term, which they usually mean is 12 months or less. Well, about seven months have passed, and we're still not hearing about it. It's so, pretty easy to model. Okay. So we have some questions from the Tesla bull. I'm not oh, sure great. who it is. Good questions. Uh, first one is, what if demand from China exceeds current expectations? Is that something that... Do you want to take it? Sure. I don't know if either of you have a view. I mean, well, I think we'll be a long time before we can answer that question because there's no factory. Yeah. And I mean, to to you know to meet that, it's I mean it's possible. It's certainly possible that, but I I think given the, uh, given how much has to happen before we even see that factory have ground broken, yeah. you know, but it comes back to the capital raise, right? Right. Where's where's the money where's for the this money thing coming from? Yeah. And Another capital need, yeah, that's right. Yes, so, I mean, that, that is a risk, and bears should be mindful of it, and bulls, you know, I mean, I, if you want to pin your hat on that, I mean, you might, you might be right, but yeah. I, I have a lot of questions, so if, if you want to jump on that. Yeah, I think uh, the reality is, from a policy perspective, everybody we've sort of, as we've investigated this, we found that the overwhelming sense is that China... From a policy perspective, and there's a lot of industrial policy that comes down from the top. Feels like they missed the internal combustion engine, uh, you know, the chance to have Chinese, you know, automakers become competitive. 
uh, and that they are just going to skip that whole technology and go directly to electric vehicles. And they have a very vibrant electric vehicle market with very active competitors already there. Uh, and when you know very successful U.S. capital equipment makers, which a car is a piece of long-lived equipment, have tried to enter the Chinese market, uh, you know, tariffs have often been the least of their concerns, although it's probably a more uh, current concern for Tesla. So the idea that uh, they're going to receive the blessing of the powers on high as opposed to a local uh, competitor, which are very experienced in advance, I think is a, it's a far-fetched place for Tesla to have uh, very successful, very profitable growth, yep. albeit a large market. It's a large market because China wants it to be a large market. They want it to be a large market because they want to dominate it. Yep. They don't want Tesla to dominate it. They want an American company to dominate okay. it. Okay. Another question from the Tesla bull. What kind of charging network do the comp- does the competition have lined up? Uh, Electrify America, which is behind the supercharger network, to be sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that brings up, again, the issue of the, ca- the balance sheets of these competitors, right? I mean, there's a, the consortium of companies is kind of teaming up, and you're starting to see that um, not just on, you know, charging technology, but, you know, like autonomous vehicles. You see Honda collaborating with GM yeah. um, on Cruise um, that was recently announced. And so Tesla is far behind, but, um, or far ahead, far ahead, excuse me, you know, we're speaking off the cuff here, um, on that front, but I don't think that's a deficit that can't be made up easily by the rest of the industry. Yep. And they, do they have, is that a top priority for these companies? They say so, we don't really know, but Tesla, you know, is going to have to keep building that supercharger network to maintain that advantage that they currently have and once again that costs money so you know that would be my response yeah I mean one thing I'd say is it looks like there are a lot of them but when you actually are driving on the road and you have to divert you know to go to some charging station versus you know the number of gas stations it's kind of ridiculous it is an advantage versus other EVs well EV adoption is going to take off until there's more chargers so it's kind of a chicken and the egg Uh, but you know we always joke that uh, driving a Tesla is a little bit like, you know, a hobby, right? Like it's having a boat. It just takes longer to get on a long, If you're going to use it on a long-distance drive, it's just going to take a really long time because you have to divert to the superchargers. Uh, the other thing is like things like the VW emission settlement will mandate that they uh, spend quite a lot of money building their own network. There are a number of, um, you know, pay-for chargers like ChargePoint, and there's charge points all over the place. So... In terms of like the half-hour charging, yeah, that's uh, you know, Tesla's further along in that. In terms of these slightly longer uh, charging windows or lower uh, voltage chargers, those are all over the place. So you can charge your, you know, you can go eat lunch and you know charge the charge point for an hour and a half, uh, and that's okay. You'll get a lot. You'll get a decent charge uh, on a on a, a, a bolt or something like that. Yeah. So this is more for uh, Jay, but. You talked about the value of Tesla used cars and the fact that they're plummeting to some extent. Um, I guess the first thing is, why is that important? And then how do you think about GM and Ford with respect to their value of their used cars? So it's been a, the reason it's incredibly important is that it's been an enormous tailwind to uh, Tesla. So if you, uh, if you bought a 2015 Tesla, the fact that the residual values have held up well means that for very little incremental money, you can trade it in and get a new one. 
Uh, and since there's a very active used market with high prices, they can turn around and sell that. It's um, essentially a, a way to fill channel demand uh, you know, with used cars as that sort of builds up and you see inventory go up, that tailwind tends to go away. And naturally, uh, usually not in this sort of a time period, um, it lowers the cost of leases. Depreciation is a lease component. Uh, it just lowers the total cost of ownership. Like if you're looking at any piece of equipment, uh, you know, you drive it off the lot and it's worth like 30% less, right? Well, that hasn't been true for Teslas. That's been a real tailwind. I mean, I think even uh, the president of Tesla, Michael Bloom, has made the point that, you know, he's had Pre- a number of... Pre- Pre- president of Hedgeye. What did I say? Tesla. 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 I was like, That's I don't know that. Joke. I was like, I don't know that person. No, no, Wait. president of <laughs> okay. Hedgeye. Okay. Uh, he is a PayPal alum, though. So uh, he is, <laughs> you know, certainly uh, a, uh, in the fold of sort of the yeah. uh, Elon Musk fans. Uh, he, you know, he, he commented that you know, he has traded them in, uh, which makes owning the next one much less expensive. If you're looking at the stock price gains, like a lot of retail holders own um, uh, Tesla stock, right? And have been, or t- I bought, I own, te- I'm a shareholder. I mean, how many people have you heard who are shareholders in 2012 yeah. model or 2013 Model S buyers? You know, when yes, they want to. I don't have hard data on that, but I would love to see it. I have, I have a survey we've published, uh, you know, and it, I don't believe it, it's so high. It's 27% of people say uh, that they bought it with uh, your entire car with Tesla stock. Okay, yes, but but, but in terms of, I just meant more general overall, oh, yeah. owning the car and the stock. I, I sense it's high. I mean, it, it's a lot, because there's a lot of wealth created by the Tesla stock price rally, like sure. the ultimate reflexive. We always kind of joke it rhymes with uh, Henry Ford wanting his employees to be able to afford a Model T. It's like, oh, uh, you know, Elon Musk wants his shareholders to be able to buy a, a, a Model uh, S, uh, you know, S3 or X. Um, so I think when you're looking at trade-ins and things like that, it's hugely important in evaluating the total cost of ownership of a car, which is very important, whether it's leasing, whether it's uh, how expensive is the financing, because it's asset-backed financing. Another thing to consider is that Tesla has a very large balance sheet value of residual value guarantees. They're at 50%, and they're a very narrow window and a very large dollar value. But if you suddenly saw... And we haven't gotten to this point yet, but if you saw another, you know, uh, say $10,000 decline in the 2016 cohort, uh, you know, some of that distribution probably starts to fall below the 50% threshold. So you could see them in a more adverse scenario than we're in right now, uh, having to pay or make good on residual value guarantees, which is what took out Navistar and some other, you know, that's a, you know, feedback loop that can be extremely painful yep. uh, for manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So the answer is it's usually important and you should pay attention to it. It reflects the brand, it reflects cost of ownership, uh, and it's real time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And falling used car prices, you know, if that becomes you know, a market-wide condition, that's certainly a problem for Ford yep. GM as well. But you know, that kind of drives home the reality that auto business is commands low multiples for a reason. Right. Yeah. Ford and GM trade at six times earnings, and it's not, I don't think the market is wrong in that assessment, really. I mean, these are, every single thing has to go right, including things beyond your control to make money over a cycle yeah. in this business. And, you know, that's one, to your question at the start of this, how did you get interested in this uh, story to begin with? It's like, why is this company 
valued like a software company when they're just picking out all the worst business, you know, energy generation and yeah. car making and like Low these are tough, these are tough, tough businesses and things go wrong and you don't make money and companies go bust and you know that's that's life in these industries. So, so, so why jump in with two feet? So is, is Tesla going to be starting an airline next? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, digital eats, eats world, so let's find a way to yeah. digitize an airline. Yeah. And, and tomorrow, today's joke is tomorrow. Story. Today's joke is tomorrow's headline with the story. So you that's never right. know. Music so, streaming. There's right. been all kinds of crazy. Music things. streaming. Yeah, that was a fun one. It's another really high so margin. We, we have a few more uh, interesting questions here. I actually don't know what this means, but I'll ask it. Um, do you give any credence credence to reports of check kiting? Oh, that they're um, not able to pay their bills, basically. Yeah, I don't. I have not sorted out what's going on on that. The Wall yeah. Street Journal has not published anything. Um, I've seen the reports. There are anecdotes of people complaining about yeah. paying for a car and not getting it, which is obviously a concern. But they are anecdotes. And I think you have to remember that Tesla's had so much turnover in finance and counting and you know process management jobs that like if if this is really widespread it might just be a reflection of chaos at this company it's, right and so, yeah. as i said earlier that you know they they it's seat of your pants next week next month yeah. man style management and i mean musk tweeted you know that we're in delivery hell and there's a carrier car you know a car carrier shortage and we're building our own this weekend and I thought, you know, that's weird. Wouldn't we have heard about that from, you know, Ford if they were having yeah. <laughs> trouble with that? And so, you know, there's, it's, it was, they didn't plan ahead that they would for higher deliveries, which yeah. is strange because they were planning for higher deliveries. And so, I mean, you can't set what's willful and what's just disorganization. I don't know, but neither is good. Yeah. That's a good question. So what is the, you know, if you think about all these people that are leaving and you've, I don't know if you've talked to some or not, but like, is it just because of this chaotic culture that they're working in, or like, are there some themes that are going on as to why people are leaving? Well, it's hard to. It's a hard place to work, right? Yeah. I mean, the the pressure is constant. Um, sometimes, uh, Mr. Musk will make a proclamation at a conference about what Tesla's uh, next, you know, milestone will be. It yeah. makes splashy headlines. And a senior engineer is finding this out for the first time that this is his new assignment, and yep. it's, it, it will fall to him or her to make this work. Yep. And so it's like, wow! So I just found out about this, and it's my problem now. And it, Silicon Valley, you know, he said he says it himself. You know, we are tough and demanding. Like, if you want a cupcake job, you can go somewhere else. Yep. And Silicon Valley is a high turnover place. You know, it's, yeah. and it's a tight labor market. But you know, so. executive turnover you try not to make a big deal out of each individual one but like some of these what's happened you know CFOs do not leave 50 billion dollar companies after 14 months which we had in 2017 chief accounting officers who have been at their last employer for 25 years do not leave companies after one month and then this week this week wasn't it the there's a person that's in charge of revenue or there's another senior accounting person left this week. Yeah, that, that, I think they're, they're a level below. And you, know, and, and, and you have to be careful with title inflation. Everyone in the, yeah. world, everyone <laughs> in the world is a president and director yeah. and yeah, yeah. chairman and king. And, you know, that, but the, that title might often will suggest you know, more importance than, than it's actually. But, 
but people are leaving at high rates, and yep. you know sometimes sometimes the replacements are not immediately coming, and it makes it makes you wonder who's watching the ship. And keep in mind, Elon Musk is CEO of SpaceX, and Neural the Neuralink, the, yes, the the brain surgery startup um, and boring, yes, and boring, and uh, don't forget the boring company. Yep. And so and, and he has to impress Grimes. <laughs> um, so he's distracted, right? And so. That he's not the only person in the business world. Jack Dorsey runs two companies yeah. and seems to be able to juggle it more or less. Yeah. But you know who who is at the helm and uh, the day to day, and it's not clear to me from the outside. Yep, makes sense. Uh, another question here, which is more specific to the car. Do you think there are serious issues with suspension and other tire tire axle defects? I see a ton of pictures to support that claim. I don't know if that's more anecdotal or. It's anecdotal, and uh, you know, I, I have seen the pictures, and yep. the pictures are of uh, a wheel that's off. A, a wheel is car. off, and that that catches your eye because these cars are supposed to never break. Um, but you know, again, these are anecdotes, not data. Same same response as the check hiding issue. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, we we have not put together comprehensive data of how often this happens. Gotcha. And, yeah. You know, I. Would I be concerned if it was my car? Yes, but I mean, I think I think there are bigger um, macro and micro issues that we've been chasing than that. I think that over time, those kinds of pictures do erode the brand, uh, and that's what Longs in this name are focused on. So if the brand starts to degrade, you know, and more generally, our our launch on Tesla focused on the conclusion that a story stocks hate dates with reality. Like the Model Three can't be as good as people thought it would be. But you know, more specifically, that every great auto brand has been made by great manufacturing, yeah. not the other way around. Like the Model T was a manufacturing marvel, marvel, not like a unique self-driving car. Right? Just pretty funny to think about it. It's a right. self-driving. So we should make that that Model T <laughs> uh, or a Toyota. Why is Toyota, you know, a very successful competitive entrant, you know, into the U.S. market through the '80s? Why? Because the cars worked great. They had yeah. great reliability. You know. Uh, why did Kia struggle to get in initially? The Kia initial reliability was quite bad. And, so, and these are long dated, these are long duration assets, right? Everybody yes. likes their new car the first day they have it, right? right? But like, what? How do you feel about it in ten years? And maybe the Model Three cohort will still love it in ten years, but we we simply do not know the answer to that question. But I do think that what we know firsthand uh, about uh, you know from people who worked on the line is and from Elon's own comments is that. The cars developed over a very compressed window. We know that there's very high turnover of individuals on the line in addition to in the executive suite, and that they constantly make changes. I mean, Elon on the 2015 conference call says, we make 20 changes to the Model S a week. And you're like, can you imagine Foxconn trying to roll out iPhones, yeah. making 20 changes to the architecture of the iPhone a week? Right. You can't mass produce that way. And, and the auto supplier business is no great shakes either, right, right. in terms of profitability. And so you, you, you simply can't be changing plans on the fly and keep your margins. So, you know. And we know that they beta test, you know, there were initial, I mean, I think they've probably acknowledged, or Elon's acknowledged, that the initial Model 3s were more problematic, you know, uh, Consumer mm-hmm. Reports tested an earlier VIN or something like that, and now they're better. Right. So we know they're changing how right. they're manufacturing these cars. That's a nightmare, right? What if you have to service a car, and you're trying to track down the VIN, and what was on that car versus other cars you've repaired, and what part does that get? 
And we talk to people on the line. They're like, oh, yeah, they change a piece of trim. We've got to take a hammer and bang it into shape so it fits. And if it doesn't fit, we've got to skip that piece. We know that the, you know, uh, you know, the, the warehouse was moved out of Fremont to make space for the Model 3 line. So they have trailers of parts. The parts aren't always there. There's a whole manufacturing uh, focus that's lacking that will, I think, over time, that's fine if you're making $100,000 cars, $150,000 right. cars. They're basically handmade. You know, there's a very high-touch service uh, on the back end. Apparently, can't get your Model X fixed if you have an accident. But aside from that, right. It but those buyers also have multiple cars, right? right. They I don't mean, care. they yeah. yes. And oh, so, I'll have to call the driver. Right, right. Know. And so, one of my favorite things is when you read like the forums, and you'll see a Model S or X horror story, and oh, this didn't work, and that didn't work, and the punchline is always something like, "So we had to take the Mercedes to it's the right, yeah. party instead." Oh, my best. Right. My best so, was back for service. But so. if you're scaling into the mass market, you are going to find buyers. You can't reach the sales projections they're talking about without finding people who need have money for one car and need to get it to and from work, and they cannot have their transportation screwed up. And that was our thesis, that you can't do that in mass production. Right. And that's going to erode the brand. And so far, our data says that, that, that that's playing out. Mm-hmm. All right, last question here. We're going to wrap it up. We're sitting here in a year. What's happened, I guess, to the company, to the stock? What are we talking about at that point? I know that's a long ways into the future for, for this A company. year? Yeah. Well, we'll have aged five years by then. So that, <laughs> yeah. that's the safe prediction. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't subscribe to the theory that they're going to go bankrupt imminently, but I think the shine is going to come off the growth story. Um, one, the, the cash flow numbers have been alarming, and especially so when you consider that they've had positive working capital as revenue grows. Yeah. And if that stalls out, the cash flow is going to start to look even worse. Um, you can't stretch payables forever. Yep. Um, I think you know Tesla's still around, still making cars, but you know not the stock, not a hot stock anymore by any stretch. Who, so. Who's the CEO in here? Elon Musk. Yeah. And Jay, what do you think? We're here a year from now. One, this will all be totally obvious in retrospect. Charlie will be writing his book, or hopefully publishing his book. Uh, you don't know anything about the book publishing industry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hear you're a very prolific writer. You know, uh, no, the uh, and that what will have happened is that demand uh, will have disappointed for cars uh, in this category that you can't have uh, that much penetration of, say, sedans or whatever uh, in that price category, uh, and that it will finally be a weakening of the brand and demand. That ends up impacting it. I think they raise. I don't think they go bankrupt either. Uh, I think there's a reflexive element to it that will be obvious in retrospect that the most remarkable thing about Tesla was its market cap. Uh, But I think it's got a much lower uh, share price, much, much lower share price a year from now. And probably we won't do a video because no one will care. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. As a reminder, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. 
this presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.